If you open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10, we're going to be looking at the first 12 verses here. Okay, on page 979 in your pew Bibles, Mark chapter 10, we'll rise as we read God's Word today. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, the crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. This is the word of God. May we have the ears to hear it. May God's blessing be added to it. Please have a seat. Can I be honest with you today? I have never before dreaded coming up and giving a sermon as I did today. When I read several weeks ago, when I was reading ahead in Mark, and I saw that we were going to touch on the topic of divorce, my stomach dropped. And I really wrestled with this. I talked to a lot of pastors who have preached through this passage. I said, I I have no desire to get up here and make people feel worse, and poke and prod at people's pain and their hurt. Because really, divorce touches almost all of us. Either we have it in our past, we have family, we have friends, we're in situations, it's ugly, it's hurtful, and maybe it's something we best just not talk about in church. In fact, Pastor John Piper said, while death is often a clean pain, divorce is what he calls a dirty pain in our lives. Divorce causes a lingering wound that just lingers for years afterwards, and I have no desire to add to that. The situation in our culture, however, has grown so dire that many people today reject marriage in favor of just living together with no commitment. It's kind of almost a standard now. Popular opinion uh, adopts this philosophy that sometimes people just grow apart. And that it's better to be happy and better to be self-fulfilled in your lives than be stuck in a divorce where two people aren't getting along. So the question is, why talk about it? Why not just quietly leapfrog ahead to verse 13? Talk about kids. That's an easy topic, right? And quietly spare you uh, what could be a very uncomfortable sermon. Well, first of all, because this is God's Word. And God has given us His Word so that it can encourage us in our growth in our life and our growth as Christians. And second, because the more I studied this passage, the more I am convinced that there is something very affirming here and something very healing 
for a lot of us that have had this encounter in our lives. And believe me when I say I'm not up here to point fingers. That's not the purpose of this sermon, to make you feel like you're hurting more, but rather to point all of us, as always, to Jesus. Point us to Jesus in as tender and loving a manner as possible. So today we're going to follow Jesus' lead. We're going to look at marriage, not through the lens of secular culture that's very permissive, but to look at it through the lens, through the viewpoint of the one who made marriage and blessed it in the first place. So for the final time in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' feet leaves the Galilean soil for the last time. He's no longer ever going to go up north. In fact, starts to press southward toward Judah. And the further south he goes, the more he gets into the backyard of the Pharisees. This is their home turf. Jerusalem is where the Pharisee movement was headquartered. And so it's of no surprise that as he travels south, he starts encountering the Pharisees more and more. And here in chapter 10, they show up and they try to to trap Jesus. The trap here is a little confusing if you're not really familiar with what's going on. The trap here involves a long-standing debate between two rabbinical schools over the topic of divorce from Deuteronomy 24. So the, the, the argument here is that Moses had written in Deuteronomy 24 that divorce was permitted in the instance that there was something indecent in the woman. And two rabbis de- debated back and forth, and there were followings in both camps. The one camp, the conservative rabbi camp, said that the only, the only cause for divorce was in the instance of sexual infidelity. So that was a conservative camp. And the liberal camp said, no, 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 we need to expand that, that, that something indecent could be almost anything. Anything that a man finds undesirable about his wife, if she displeases him somehow, she embarrasses him, or even if he doesn't find her attractive any longer and sees that girl down the street and she's, she's better looking. And so that, that was actually becoming the popular view of the time, that divorce could be permitted for almost any reason, as long as the guy found that, that there was something at fault in the woman. And so divorces were at the, in, on the rise in Israel, and this is a situation that the Pharisees come and try to trap Jesus. In fact, where Mark's gospel was sent, it was even worse. In Roman cities of the time, it was not uncommon for a Roman man to have upwards of 15 to 20 wives over the course of his life. They treated marriages as utterly disposable. They didn't like it, get rid of one, grab another. They don't like it next week, another one. So here's the trap that the Pharisees are laying. The trap is that either way Jesus rules in this situation, with the conservative camp or the liberal camp, he's going to lose. He's going to make enemies on that day. If he went with the liberal school of thought, well, the conservatives would say that he's going against the law of Moses. And how dare he? And if he went with the conservative school, not only would he be siding with the public opinion, or against the public opinion, but he'd be going against King Herod Antipas. Do you remember how we talked about the big sin there with that family? Was that his wife actually had been married to his brother, and she divorced his brother just to get married to him. So he had married her and was involved in this whole situation. So either way, Jesus can't win. When I look at this situation, as the Pharisees bring up this trap and this challenge to Jesus and really try to, try to stick it to him, is the attitude of the Pharisees here. 
looking at this, it just it astounds me. Not just that they're siding with this liberal camp looking for all these loopholes to get out of marriage, but that the Pharisees show absolutely no concern and no compassion for the people involved. It's really, I mean, it's this ongoing trend with the Pharisees, but they don't care about the victims of divorce. They don't. They don't care about being fair. They're not celebrating marriage. All they know is that God had permitted divorce, so they figured God approved of divorce. But that's not how it goes. Permission doesn't always equal approval. And this attitude that the Pharisees have is very prevalent in our society when people see marriage as a trap to escape and long-term marriages as almost impossible to attain. In fact, there was a, there was, um, a local story of a couple who was celebrating their golden wedding anniversary. And it was so unheard of that a reporter came by their house to write up a story on them and asked them that question, like, what's the secret? What's the secret to a long marriage? And he said, well, really, it goes back to our honeymoon. Back on our honeymoon, we went to the Grand Canyon, and we took one of those mules. Anybody ever do that, take one of the mules down to the Grand Canyon? And so they were riding down on one of those, uh, the husband and wife each had their own mule, and they were riding down the Grand Canyon. The husband said, we, we get a little way, and the mule stumbles. My wife, a very soft-spoken wife, just said quietly, that's one. And they go a little ways more down, and the mule stumbles a second time. And the wife quietly says, that's two. And they get all the way to the end, and he says, and, and my wife's mule takes that final step down the path to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and stumbles for a third time. And my wife simply got off the mule, took a pistol out of her handbag, and shot the mule dead right there on the spot. And my fa- I, the guy said, the husband said, my mouth fell open. I said, what are you doing? Why did you just shoot that mule? And she calmly looked at me and said, that's one. I guess that's one way to keep marriage going a long time. Hopefully it's probably not the right way. But the Pharisees in the public wanted to ditch marriages when they just weren't convenient, when they weren't enjoyable to them any longer. I hope we can understand why that's a bad attitude to have. And the Pharisees honestly didn't care who got hurt by it. They weren't counseling those whose marriages were in trouble. They weren't comforting those who might have had a spouse abandon them. They just wanted to find out when it was okay to get rid of that marriage. I think we in the church need to be a lot better than the Pharisees, who are far too permissive of divorce and far too uncaring of those trampled over by the pain of divorce. Above all, I think our hearts need to be filled with compassion and not judgment for those who have divorced. I think it's so easy for us to just sit on our high horse and point fingers when we don't know what they went through. We don't know their situation. We need to have what's called a tearful compassion for those people while still mingling those tears with the call to obey God's, uh, God's law for our marriages, for our lives. So please don't be so quick to judge others when they're going through divorce. We should be compassionate, graceful, and loving. So now that the trap has been laid, the Pharisees have laid this trap They want to make sure Jesus loses no matter what. How does he handle this situation? So often when Jesus is handed an either-or option, he usually goes with a third option, and that's what he does exactly here. Instead of giving a ruling 
on which scenario, which school of rabbinic thought is more correct in this instance, Jesus goes to the purpose of the regulation that was given in Deuteronomy 24. In fact, right here in Mark 10, it says, it was because of your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. So what he's explaining here is that this ruling is a divine concession because of the hardness of the sin of our hearts. God can indeed permit things that he does not desire or command, but he can have a concession for that. And part of this divine concession that God established through the law of Moses was to protect the innocent party who would otherwise be trapped in a sinful or abusive marriage. God wants to protect people. And then Jesus actually takes a step back and he says, let's go back even farther in Moses' writings. Let's not look at Deuteronomy 24. Let's go back to Genesis 2 to look at the creation account where God first instituted marriage. In Genesis 2, God affirms that his plan and purpose for marriage was a union between a man and a woman. This union not of two angels, but of two sinners who would come together to join together in their bodies, in their wills, their minds, and their sets of emotion, and to come together as what the Bible calls one flesh. And Jesus reestablishes that, reaffirms that, uh, that institution of marriage, and then he asks us to look at divorce through the eyes of God. And he says, how do you think God feels about it? When he's created this marriage as such a wonderful blessing for your life, such a wonderful thing that could build you up, give you a helper, help you in the home, just bring such joy and happiness in your life. And divorce comes in and seeks to undo that purpose and plan that God had. Is God okay with it? Or does it hurt him deeply to see how sin affects this beautiful thing that he made? Several years back, Disney made a movie called Enchanted. My wife and I went and saw it. It was a really interesting movie. It was about one of their animated princesses that somehow came into the real world and suddenly became a person. And in the movie, one of the early scenes, uh, Amy Adams, she's the princess, and she ends up at the office of a divorce attorney. And so she's kind of just talking to people, and she's got that little Disney princess smile on all the time, and she's complimenting a guy here and a girl there that are coming out of an office and she finds out, she's then told that they're in this process of divorce. And she has no idea what a divorce is. And they explain. They say, well, their, their marriage is separating. And she's like, what? Forever? They're like, yeah, forever and ever. And then in the middle of the office, she bursts into sobs. She starts sobbing over this. And they're, they're all looking around like, why is this woman crying right now? This is, you know, something happens every day. But she says this, and I, I went back and watched the movie so I could write this down. She says, those people are in real pain. One day they're together, and the next they're not. What kind of awful place is this? Now, that whole scene is played for laughs. But I thought this is one of the most profound things about marriage that Disney has ever put on screen. When we look at marriage through God's eyes, we see a wonderful thing, and we see the divorce is that wonderful thing broken forever and ever? How can tears not well up in our eyes? How can we not see this as a broken world? Marriage is such a good gift when it's built on the foundation of Christ. When it functions properly, it doesn't always, 
But when it does, it can be a tremendous blessing to all involved. And our heart should be, first and foremost, to see marriages endure. We should want that. We should be excited about that. Not only does God love marriage because he made it, but he loves it because marriage represents a sacred union between Christ and the church. And when we get into a marriage, we start to understand that union. Ephesians 5 tells us this when it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, that bride, that vision of a bride as a radiant church. See marriage as God sees it. If you're married, place the highest priority on on being obedient to God in your marriage and working hard at your relationship. Marriages often work, and it is hard, but it is a good thing to work at. If you have a broken marriage, maybe it's in the past, maybe it's broken right now, I would just invite you to lay that marriage at the foot of the cross, to bring it to God and say, God, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this pain, this situation, this relationship but you do, and I want to be obedient to you. I want your will in my life. What can you do with this? And above all, all of us as a a church should be encouraging to those in marriage. We should be supporting them. We should be praying for them. We should be cheering marriages on as much as we can. In this passage in Mark 10, the disciples kind of mulling all this over, wait until they get behind closed doors to ask Jesus for clarification on what just happened. In as many words, Jesus tells them that the mindset of the culture had forgotten that divorce violates God's design, and it often invites sin into our lives. That There's a real danger of sin that we can step into with divorce. So Jesus is really putting the brakes on this cultural of this runaway divorce train, and he invites us to take this matter really seriously. Now, I want to say that while every divorce is a product of sin, not every divorce is sinful. Again, God does make that divine concession for cases that are what we call biblical divorces that happen in the context of Scripture. where God gives us specific examples where divorce is permitted. Generally, most churches, most evangelical churches, would say that there's three exceptions that are okay for biblical divorces that where it's permitted, but not always necessary. The first case would come from Matthew 19 to make the exception on the grounds of adultery. 1 Corinthians 17 makes the exception on the grounds of desertion and abuse. And some churches have argued that 2 Corinthians 5 would make the, also make the uh, concession on the exception for uh, people who got divorced prior to becoming new in Christ again, prior to becoming Christians. Yet you'll note that nowhere in the Bible... Is there an exception for people who want to get divorced just to make themselves happy? Just out of self-fulfillment? Just because marriage happened to become hard? Malachi 2 says that the man who hates and divorces his wife does violence to the one he is sworn to protect. When you get up here and you are married and you give your wedding vows, you vow to protect and honor that person, not to harm them. And divorce often harms that person. Now, every divorce situation is unique. I can't get up here on a Sunday morning and give you a 20, 30-minute sermon and address every single uh, specific divorce situation. They're all different. 
They all uh, require a lot of prayer, a lot of thoughtful searching of the scriptures, a lot of consulting with the church's elders. And we're here for that. We're here as a church, not, not to put one law into place and saying that applies to everything, but rather to point us toward Christ, to point us toward the scriptures, and to point us toward the danger that if we're not careful, that there is sometimes a, a case where we can step in divorce and uh, egregiously sin against our Lord, and that hopefully we don't want. Yet, whether it's in our marriage or in divorce, if we sin, there is also the potential for forgiveness. We don't have to have this sin hanging around our neck. We go to the cross and we say, Lord, I've sinned. I'm sure I didn't handle this the best way. I'm sure maybe I was party to this, or I've sinned in my marriage. Lord, help me. Forgive me. And he, the Lord says, if you, are, if you confess your sins to him, he is what? He's faithful and just and will forgive that sin. Divorce is not a big enough sin that God says, I can't forgive that. He absolutely, definitely can. Ultimately, we must commit to being in God's will for our life, whether we're single, married, or divorced. We should be looking to divorce-proof the marriages, not just in our own lives, but those around us. We should be encouraging them and showing a path of grace and redemption and forgiveness to those who are still struggling with that painful, maybe that painful secret of divorce in their lives. Now, here's something to chew on as we close on our time together. Do you realize that the Bible practically begins chapter 2 in Genesis with the institution of marriage? And it ends right at the ending of Revelation with the marriage of Jesus and his church. The Bible is bookended by marriage. Yet right there in the middle is a whole bunch of divorce. It's a whole bunch of divorce, not from God who was faithful to us, but from a people who were unfaithful to God. In fact, the Bible uses divorce terminology a lot when it comes to how we were separated from God in our sin. We were the cause of that divorce, yet by the end of Scripture, we see how God has redeemed that marriage, has redeemed it and made it beautiful once more. As we just read, He washed His church. He made us holy and radiant again. None of us sitting here are perfect, yet through God's grace and the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, we are made a radiant church, and we will be presented to, to Christ in heaven in the final days as his bride. And that is just a wonderful thing, that we will be part of a whole marriage, all of us, in the end. So when we understand and we support marriage in our Christian walk and in the church, we all start to, to function on a deeper level with this deeper understanding of how we relate to God. This week, be compassionate as you encounter others who have had to struggle with divorce. Help to strengthen the marriages of those around you. And anytime you have those sins in your life, in your marriage or in divorce, bring them to Jesus for forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today. Thank you today for this hard passage, this passage that makes us take a very serious look at how much you hold marriage in high esteem. Lord, we are all not perfect. I don't think there's a single married couple that has ever been purely perfect in their vows. And Lord, a lot of us have struggled with separation in our lives. Lord, through this, help us to become closer to you. Help us to be obedient, seeking your will and your things and not our own. Lord, help us to get over this world mindset 
that we have to be happy. And that is the, the most important thing in our life. Rather, Lord, we should be looking at what makes you happy, what pleases you the most. And if that is being faithful in our vows, then Lord, so be it. Help us to be strong. Help us to uphold marriages. Lord, always help us to turn to you whenever we're struggling. And all God's people said, amen. I think we all need to hear that sometimes. Jesus loves you. He made you. He adores you. He thinks you're incredible. And he has a plan for your life. Go out and live that plan and that purpose this week. Receive the benediction. May God bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work for him. Go in peace. Amen.